It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornchain. Well, everybody, welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornchain. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs, and I'm so excited that you're tuning in today. We have a very special guest with us on the program who's really going to challenge us, uh, really, as we examine what's happened here in America, what's happened here even in Colorado. We have a lot to talk about, and uh, without uh, further delay, let me just introduce you to Michelle Malkin, who is with us here on Engage of Truth. It is such a joy to have you on the program. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you. It's a blessing to be with you. Well, I, you have just recently uh, just returned to Colorado Springs, and uh, we are just thrilled to have you here on the program, and uh, I have had just a series of questions that I wanted to present to you here today, because I know that, uh, if anything, you have always a very uh, strong opinion on, on many topics that are going on across the nation, and let me just kick us off with one that has been near and dear to, as we've examined this even at our church here on the broadcast, a number of questions have come in. We have just come out of the election season. Here we are now into December. We've been processing all that has occurred over the last few weeks. How do we assess this? I mean, how do we assess the landscape from the election results? How, how do we really, what do we take away from this? Because it can feel very discouraging depending on what side of uh, the aisle they were on and how people voted. But uh, yeah, I, I think that for all of us here in the Christian community, especially, I outlined uh, on a Sunday morning just what happened beyond the presidential election, things that were voted for that really uh, broke some of our hearts, that even here in Colorado, uh, individuals that were selected to various positions of leadership across the country, uh, these individuals that did not align with a Judeo-Christian value uh, system and so forth. I I just think that there's a, a lot of stress out there. People perhaps grieved a bit from your humble opinion, what, how do you assess the landscape after the elections? Well, I'm not grieving yet because the process is not over. And I think that the, the premise of the first question um, has to be framed properly. Um, and there's a lot of uh, attempts. There are a lot of attempts by the mainstream media, by Hollywood, by the Democrat Party establishment uh, to... Um, wield a false narrative, and that false narrative is that, A, there was no fraud in this election, and B, that Joe Biden is the winner. He is not yet, and there are six contested battleground states currently. I've been in, I believe, four of them over the last year, and this past weekend, I just returned today uh, from Phoenix over the last couple of days, where there was an important hearing by state Republican legislators who heard evidence presented by Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis, two of the leading attorneys for Team Trump and and the campaign's efforts to get out the information about the systemic election and voter fraud that occurred in such large numbers and so collectively that it had an indelible impact on this election. And, uh, of course, leading to the conclusion by independent whistleblowers, by independent data analysts that you cannot sign any type of attestation or certification of the election results at this point without answers to fundamental questions about how the automatic voting machine uh, machines were operated, who operated, uh, how hundreds of thousands of military ballots 
absentee and early um, ballots uh, were collected, handled, uh, and the obstruction that has occurred in multiple states, primarily Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Nevada, Arizona, and Georgia, where GOP poll observers were illegally and illicitly blocked from seeing the election results. The obstruction alone uh, leads to unconstitutional impacts, and um, those are being challenged uh, in both the court of public opinion uh, and also the the court of law. Um, The process is not merely taking place on the legal level, but, of course, at the state legislative level, and that's why I attended the hearing in Phoenix yesterday, uh, and there's another one um, today in Michigan, and uh, there are attempts, of course, in Pennsylvania to call for a special session based on the information, the sworn affidavits, uh, and incredible testimony from all types of, of people involved in the election process here. Mm. So I would advise people who are feeling down or, uh, or depressed uh, about all of this or feeling despondent um, not to, uh, and in, in fact, to challenge these false narratives, get armed with the truth, and then spread it. Amen. Well, as we examine in the election process through all of this, I think that some of the narrative that's come out of this is then, can we truly trust what has occurred? I mean, is that something that perhaps you're already hearing it? You've addressed some of that already, the fraud. Uh, we've already heard for years that folks felt like, well, did my vote really matter? Uh, and, and some of this is that we've heard throughout social media and across the various, uh, you know, I don't know, various groups of people are a part of it. You know, they happen at every church, it seems like. Everybody's got an opinion about these things. But uh, as we're examining this, I, I feel like there is a, a consistent factor here where now there's a question being purposely asked, and, and individuals who are grieved and concerned, do we really trust this process? Can we trust the election system in America? Will it get better I mean, do you have hope that as this whole thing gets unraveled, as, as, as the evidence is presented, that we can get back to a system that perhaps we could trust once again? Brave people across this country are stepping up and doing their part to fight this effort to steal and hijack the election. And many of these brave people have been at work trying to guarantee free and fair and credible elections for years now. Uh, they've been Cassandras, in a sense, you know, the mythical figure of the Cassandra who warned and warned and warned, and nobody believed her until it was too late. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think it's too late, and I think the fact that there are so many people who are gathering uh, in all of these battleground states uh, to be on the streets to show a public support for the president, for his willingness to fight this out, despite all of the despite all of the attacks and despite all of the threats. It's also global, and I interviewed a Filipino lawyer. Uh, My parents are originally from the Philippines, so there's something somewhat ironic and and poetic here, I suppose, uh, that uh, the kind of corruption of the election system, the kind of corruption that my parents uh, left when they came to the United States to live in a constitutional republic, have now been visited upon us, and that in both countries, the software and hardware systems that are being used uh, that are irretrievably and irredeemably uh, corrupted and susceptible to hacking, uh, the companies are Dominion, Smartma- Smartmatic, and uh, Sequoia, 
uh, have been used in both places and have been proven to be manipulated. Mm -hmm. These are closed-end systems where third-party administrators without any oversight or scrutiny have been allowed to change the algorithms, change the scripts, um, and uh, this, of course, results in automatic vote padding or automatic vote shaving. Well, this lawyer that I interviewed, and you can find the interview on my YouTube channel at Michelle Malkin, um, had his top aide murdered. Uh, he was tortured and murdered, targeted because of this lawyer's activities over the last 10 years uh, to expose and to try and remedy this kind of election fraud. It is an uphill battle. People are risking their lives. We know about a lot of the GOP poll watchers here in the battleground states uh, who now have 24-7 uh, security protection because they have been um, exposed to death threats. Um, and there have been lawyers who've had to uh, drop out of some of these cases, not because the cases are illegitimate, but because uh, they've been threatened with um, being fired or having uh, their jobs terminated because of their willingness to stand up. Wow. Now, it seems like with this, there's been this push to try to convince the general public that moving to a popular vote would somehow be the solution, yet everything you've described in, in the possibilities of hacking and, and so forth, it would call that even into question. Can you explain even to our listeners right now why this push suddenly to go to a popular vote? And, and, it, and I guess it, it bothers me, and it should, that it was so widely accepted, or at least the image of such was accepted uh, here in Colorado. Uh, but as we've known, that for those who don't know, I know that uh, you know maybe we just need to reverse here just for a moment, the fact that there are 538 electors and this process was approved in 1787, and we've been in part, and this has been our system of how we have elected the President of the United States through this electoral college. Help us understand a little bit of why there's suddenly now this push to go to a popular vote. Well, it's part of the steal. It's part of the uh, election hijacking machine uh, that has been built up over 30, 40 years by uh, left-wing billionaires such as George Soros, non-governmental organizations and non-profit groups uh, that um, have never uh, accepted our constitutional republic uh, and who want to be able to, on a whim, um, affect the outcome of these elections. And, of course, this is just one more piece of it. And, um, you know, the fact is now it's incredibly important that people understand the constitutional history, understand that uh, it is the state legislatures who have the, the plenary powers to appoint those electors. Uh, and if they do not accept the election results as they've been framed by the Biden machine as legitimate, they have the sole power. They, not CNN, not Nancy Pelosi, uh, not the New York Times, uh, have the power to elect the um, appoint the electors uh, that they see fit, hmm. um, and so that this is where the the battleground is right now. And uh, the fact that this is time tested, the, the fact that uh, our visionary founding fathers put this in place, uh, of course, is something that is rejected by uh, people who are trying to dis destroy the hmm. uh, historic American nation. I think it's all of a piece. Uh, this move to eliminate the electoral college and substitute it with mob rule is what we've seen over the last year. We've seen it on the streets with Antifa and Black Lives Matter, uh, with the targeting of so many uh, precious monuments 
that are monuments to our heritage, uh, monuments to our history, monuments to our founding documents. So um, that's where we are right now. And I think so protecting the Electoral College is as important as um, impressing upon state legislatures, particularly the ones in battleground states that have a majority of Republicans, to do their jobs and to listen to the people. Mm, it's good. Thank you very much for that. And I, I think that as we examine then what's happened here in Colorado, with uh, our Colorado listenership here, is, is uh, many of them have poured out to us, and there was a, a confusion. It seemed like last-minute confusion even on Proposition 115. Uh, even some who had prominent voices in, in various churches across the state uh, suddenly had uh, turned against it. And again, as I mentioned earlier in the program, there was a, a heaviness in the heart of many Christians that not only did they see how many uh, individuals who were elected who did not have a biblical Christian, Judeo-Christian worldview, but also some of the, the, the things that were uh, taking a stand for life, even blocking late-term abortion, such as Proposition 115, that suddenly that that failed. There was a lot of money that was spent to block that, uh, and it seemed that this became really a vital issue for Democrats, not just recently, but here over the past few years even. Why is that? Why is this uh, such a vital issue for them that they need to, uh, that many who are the proponents of this, of Planned Parenthood and those who back them, why, why is this such a critical thing that abortion should be made available all the way up until the moment of delivery as opposed to blocking that? Even at 22 weeks, it seemed like a, a very reasonable thing to uh, put it, it through the uh, folks to examine and and uh, and put Proposition One Fifteen through. What were your thoughts on that? So you have to follow the money to find the truth. And the culture of death is a multi-billion-dollar industry. And mm-hmm. for Democrat politicians, even the ones who claim to be supposedly pro-life and have D's by their name, uh, it's about filling their campaign coffers, even if it comes at the cost of millions and millions of unborn, innocent lives. Uh, And I think that the reason why they're pouring so much money into initiatives and referenda that protect uh, these extreme and evil measures is that they realize that there has been a sea change in the culture. And here I want to impress upon your audience how optimistic they should feel. Every time you look at the March of Life, Uh, March for Life every January, you see that there is a growing movement, particularly among young people, despite the grisly culture of death and and the the support for uh, extremist radical abortion um, on demand in the the culture, you know, Mm. in uh, feminist magazines, in Hollywood, uh, on TV, uh, among supposed uh, Zoomer and Gen X influencers. Despite all of that, there is a growing rejection of it. And, um, and I think that, that that explains just how, um, you know, metaphorically, how violent the response has been uh, from people who um, make their livings off of it. Yeah. And uh, I think I think one of the things, of course, was the, the passing of the, the, uh, the champion of uh, abortion on demand, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and you know one of the the most important things that uh, President Trump has done in his four years in office was um, appoint Amy Comey Barrett. And you saw, you just saw how unhinged uh, the Democrats, the left, and the Planned Parenthood death lobby were about that. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and and we continue to uh, try to encourage all of our, our pro-life, uh, all the pregnancy centers that are out there that are defending life, and our church has certainly been uh, a, a, an advocate for that, and, and uh, here it is, uh, uh, the giving season, so we're encouraging even for those who are uh, part of Life Network here in Colorado Springs to get in touch with them and, and fight the good fight there. Now, here in Colorado Springs, especially in, in really southern Colorado, uh, all of our listenership here, they have uh, recently been under the new lockdown that started on November 27th. Uh, of course, we have been praising God for what feels to be this injunction, this uh, sort of the standstill that churches are under this exemption until the federal courts determine otherwise. Uh, I, this is probably a hot topic that could take us through several broadcasts, but I, I know you, I'm, you must have some opinions on this, of just the whole coronavirus containment efforts that are going on here. Uh, that is, is the, I guess the question that's, that's come in here to the studio is, is the cure more destructive here than the cause? I mean, are we really fighting the good fight? I, I mean, there are people with all sorts of suspicions now where they question the narrative. Are we really been fed, feeding, are we really been given the right information to make the right decisions? And, and certainly we're hearing from folks at the hospitals and, and seeing those numbers. And uh, But it just feels like sometimes we're destroying ourselves in order to prevent the coronavirus to be spread. What, what are some thoughts that you have on this? Yes. Put simply, just as you say, the, the so-called cure by the public health industrial complex has been far worse than any actual disease. Um, I've said that this past year in COVID lockdowns and the increasing amount of power that these people have grabbed over our lives is a personality test. Mm-hmm. It is a personality test. Are you going to go along with the powers that be, the, the, with the conventional wisdom, with false narratives, or do you have the courage and the heart and the spine to stand up for it, to protect yourselves and your families and your constitutional rights? And we've seen that many church leaders have been at the forefront of uh, rejecting the, the secular gods, as it were, in this matter. It requires, of course, um, not only informed consent, but uh, in an informed perspective. How do you get at the truth? Uh, and uh, simply because it comes from the CDC doesn't mean it's true. In fact, we should always, as the left always used to love to say, question these authorities. Mm. Uh, and so a lot of the brave people who have been disseminating uh, the truth, including many brave souls in the scientific community, have been stifled. And that tells you a lot, that big tech, Silicon Valley, uh, the scions of Facebook and Twitter and YouTube have gone out of their way to strip uh, the power of ordinary individuals and whistleblowers and scientists to uh, defy and dissent from uh, the public health industrial complex, and in particular, Big Pharma, which has made billions of dollars off of this and plans to make even more if mandatory vaccines are down the pike. Um, to make this relevant for your Colorado listenership, uh, this summer I was um, on the steps of the Capitol joining people across the aisle, political aisle, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., uh, Patrick Neville, and I, and uh, parents from across Colorado standing up for medical freedom and the protection, particularly, of religious and philosoph- philosophical um, objections to mandatory vaccine schemes. Um, and many of the state legislators here who have been bought off by Big Pharma 
are ready to bargain away and, and sell out um, our rights to be able to object to that. And uh, there was some progress in holding off what seems to be just a complete juggernaut on all of this, but I would encourage every one of your listeners to find out the truth, and I have many videos on my YouTube channel uh, interviewing experts and dissident scientists uh, and investigative journalists who've covered this issue. And we appreciate you for doing that as well. And now, let me just give you one more question here uh, before we kind of wrap all this up because the time goes by so quick. Another question that's come in is because of all of these uh, measures that have gone into place to try to contain this coronavirus, COVID-19, it, it seems like we're spending money uh, out of control, that uh, $5 trillion plus added since last year's budget that bring us to around $27 trillion in debt as a country. Uh, with 334 million Americans, that's roughly $81,514 per person. It seems that we just keep kicking the can down the road. It's always spend somebody else's money that they have to deal with the problem at a later date. Not our problem right now. We just spend, spend, spend. And now we seem to have elected a lot of people who buy into that narrative as well. I mean, from your perspective on that in our short time we have left, what do you think we can expect of America in America? What's going to happen to our dollar, the value of it? What's, what's going to happen here in the next couple of years as a result of this? Or do we just keep kicking the can down the road and no consequence for it? It's a great and daunting question that almost nobody ever asks anymore, and that's what's appalling to me. Uh, we are headed uh, into catastrophic times, and we can't keep kicking the can down the road. We have to think about our children's future and our uh, grandchildren's future out there, and the federal government's money printers have just gone completely out of control. It, it couldn't happen with just the Democrats, though, and I know that many in your audience will agree with me. This is a bipartisan swamp problem, and there's no political incentive built in for swamp creatures to be fiscally responsible. Well, we do have uh, uh, that simple concept of the consent of the governed, and it's going to take a, a collective effort on the part, particularly of families who have the, the most to lose in this, uh, to um, exact penalties for bankrupting future American generations. Well, we've got a we've got our work cut out for us, and you know, obviously, for those who are listening right now, as you have heard all of this, it can be very daunting. You you can feel probably a bit overwhelmed, maybe a confirmation of some of your own concerns and fears. And uh, we've been talking with Michelle Malkin; she is out there on the front line, really battling through these issues to protect. Uh, the American way of life, and ultimately uh, preserve our freedoms that we have taken for granted for far too long. But for those as you're listening right now and you're feeling, what can I do in the midst of all of this? Certainly we turn our eyes to uh, the author and perfecter of our faith is, is Christians. We know that we are not alone in this battle. Uh, sometimes we can get a little complacent and apathetic and then suddenly find ourselves in, in the midst of what feels to be chaos brewing. Uh, this is not a time to be silent, certainly not a time to remain quiet, but re really steadfast in this. Isaiah 58 calls us to be repairers of the breach, and there definitely is a breach in our society. What we can also be assured of, according to Proverbs 8 and Daniel 4, 
is that God does rule in the kingdoms of men. He is still sovereign over it all. We take assurance in that. Uh, Michelle, we just want to thank you for being a part of our program here today at Engaged in Truth. We're so excited that you've taken the time to do this. We know you're very busy traveling all around and standing on the front lines there. How can people get in touch with you? You did mention your YouTube channel there. You have a lot of videos that are made available regularly. Is that the best way for them to find out the latest, greatest from you is at YouTube? Yes, although, of course, with uh, the Silicon Valley censors uh, uh, targeting so many people, I advise people to follow me on all of my alternative platforms as well, as well, michellemalkin.com, and you can find all of my backup videos at a great site called BitChute, that's B-I-T-C-H-U-T-E.com. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to the event. I echo everything that you say. I wake up every morning, and the first thing I tell myself is, be not afraid. Be not afraid. Amen. That's right. This is not a time for fear. Well, thank you for listening to Engage in Truth, and we hope that uh, you'll share this program again and again and again. Get the word out there. You can find this program at calvaryfountain.com. There you'll have an audio video drop down. Just go and click that, share it on all social media. Get the word out. Be part of the solution. Be a change agent in the culture. We want to thank you for listening. If you're looking for a fellowship to go deeper in God's Word together, Come join us on Sundays, 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. Again, learn more at calvaryfountain.com. God bless you. Take care.